two old men had been friends for basically their whole lifetime, and they'd lived into their early 90s, and one of them had unfortunately fallen deathly ill, and his friend had come to visit him in the hospital. They knew that this was probably their last time to have a conversation together. They reminisced about a whole lifetime, and their friendship had been built on on a common love of baseball. They'd played the game together as kids. They'd gone to countless games over the years, and even one memorable World Series that they had enjoyed together. And they talked about baseball for a while, and to keep the mood a little light, the man who was very ill said to his friend, he said, listen, I'll make you a deal. He said, when I get up there, he said, if there's baseball in heaven, if I can, I'll come back and I'll let you know. And his buddy was laughing and said, sure, fine, that'd be great. As it happened, a few days later, his friend passed away. And the man who was left behind was lying in bed one night trying to sleep, and he heard a voice. And the voice said, hey, hey, listen, really good news and some really bad news. And the guy said, well, give me the good news. What's the good news? He says, there is baseball in heaven. And the guy says, that's great. He says, but what's the bad news? And the guy says, you're pitching Wednesday. <laughs> there is life after death, and there may even be baseball. I did that in honor of the World Series. I thought that'd be fun. And here's what I want us to catch from that. If we expect there to be something after this life, and the end of this life is what we call death, if we expect there to be something after that, there is required then, by definition, there's required to be some kind of resurrection. Resurrection means to rise again. Now, if you grew up in church and you heard these terms and you went to Easter services and all that kind of thing, over the years, resurrection isn't a, it's a term that we know, that we've heard, we're kind of familiar with, and it raises a lot of images in our mind. It raises images kind of like the one on the screen of, of the, uh, perhaps the empty tomb. It can raise images in our mind of, of heaven and what heaven must be like. For some of us, that, that old uh, uh, cartoon image of the floating clouds and the angels and the harps and all. I think probably is accurate as an as a observation for, for most of us. Resurrection is something that is, is future. Whether it's, um, uh, we hope, at the end of a very long life, or when Jesus comes again, or whatever our particular theology on that might be, it tends to be something that we, um, in our minds, we set off a little bit. We set off into the future. The problem with that is, is that it's not accurate. And we can look at the Word, and we're going to dig into some passages on this in just a few minutes, but we can look at the Bible, and just a, a, a meta-view, an overview of, of the New Testament tells us that something really important happened for the people who followed Jesus, His disciples. They followed Him all the way up to the very foot of the cross. They followed Him even to the tomb, and they were stunned they were totally amazed, and it was completely unexpected when Jesus literally rose from the dead. This was the part that no one saw coming, not that way, not the way it happened. 
But that event, that fact, turned these people, these disciples, into something completely other than they were. We sang about it a little while ago. We look at it in the scriptures, we look at the earth, and Jesus returns to the heavens, and they go out and preach the message of Jesus. And the core message, as we'll see in a minute, the core message that they preach is the resurrection. And it's powerful and compelling, but it's not just something for someday, somehow, somewhere. It changed people's lives in the moment. To the point that, and we talk about this fairly regularly, to the point that within three centuries of the founding of the church, Christianity has become the dominant religion in all the Western world, in the Roman Empire. And it doesn't work if there's not something compelling about this resurrection, that it makes a difference in people's lives now. If I try to sell you something that you're not going to have anything to, to gain from it for years and years, perhaps, probably for years and years, you're not going to be too compelled to buy that. But if I tell you about something that is going to change your life right now, now you have an opportunity to make a choice, and you make that choice in the moment. That's what happened in those early years of the church. It's what happened through the, the history of the church for 2,000 years. The resurrection makes a difference now. So very briefly, as we overview that, we think about it. We know, because we're here and we have heard this over and over, we believe it, that Jesus died and was buried and a bit. We didn't used to, but now we have to be a little more clear about that. In our cultural kind of mythology, our cultural mindset of the world today, to come back from the dead often is translated as reanimation, flesh that has been given new motion, not necessarily a new life, but new motion zombie movies, okay? Can we just kind of go with it from that point of view? So you have to be careful when you talk to people about resurrection that we make a distinction between the idea of resurrection being new, new of kind, versus reanimation, which is just dead being given motion. Does that make sense to you? Give me a little nod, okay? Cool. Others of you just woke up, welcome. We're glad you're here today. (laughs) So Jesus died and was buried. He rose to new life, not reanimation, but resurrection. This confirms everything he ever said or did as true. Jesus taught about a lot of things. All those words in red in your Bible or on your tablet or your screen on your phone, those are the words Jesus said. They all have power and meaning, not just because he said them, but because they were confirmed because he was literally the Son of God who rose from the dead. Everything he ever did confirms everything is confirmed by the resurrection. Not only that, he consistently claimed that this was going to happen. He, to begin with, it took a while. In fact, it took the actual event for them to fully appreciate what he was talking about. All over the Gospels, Jesus repeats basically these same words that we read in Luke 9, verse 22, where he, call, he talks about himself. He calls himself the Son of Man. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, teachers of religious law, He will be killed, but on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. Luke 9, Luke 13, Luke 18, Luke 24, these words almost precisely are repeated over and over. It's true in Matthew, it's true in Mark, he says it in John. Jesus told his followers repeatedly that this is what was going to happen. 
Now, it did happen. This changed their lives, and their preaching throughout the rest of the New Testament confirms this and affirms it consistently over and over and over again. The message of the apostles, and you you can check this if you like, get your Bible out and just start flipping pages and just scan down through there and see how often what is taught appeals to the resurrection for the basis of its truth. It's passages like 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, where Paul says he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He wrote to... So it matters. The point we want to make this morning, and we're going to talk about fairly briefly because we've got some other things we're going to, we're going to have to do together as a, as a church family here just a little bit. But briefly this morning, all I want us to do is look at three of the many, many, many factors uh, that make the resurrection important to your life now. It's important to when you and I leave this world someday and we get to go to heaven and find out if there really is baseball or not. But it matters today. It matters in the world that you live in, in the moment, and as you walk through your day every day. So here's some things about why it matters. It matters because we have, as the Bible says, a living hope. I'm going to appeal to 1 Peter a couple of times. Peter, of course, is Jesus' disciple and apostle, was one of those who didn't get the whole plan, didn't understand what was going on, heard Jesus say over and over and over again that he would die and be buried and resurrected after three days. They heard it. They didn't get it. He hid. He denied it. He denied Christ himself. Then it happened. Then he saw the resurrected Lord in a new new creation, new body, new life. And he believed it. And it changed him. And it changed the way he taught, and it changed the way he preached, and it changed the way he dealt with it. Changed the world. And it's because of what he says here in 1 Peter 1, verses 23 through 23, where he says, through Christ... Oh, excuse me, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, excuse me. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been what, church? We have been born again because God did what? He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Fact, it is mercy that we are alive spiritually today because God raised Jesus from the dead. Jim made an excellent point in his communion meditation Jesus didn't just die on a cross, which is why, for the most part, in the, in the Reformed evangelical world, our crosses don't have a body on them. They are not crucifixes. Not necessarily criticizing that, but our theology says the cross is empty. The cross is blank. Jesus died and was buried. If that's the end of the story, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we are to be pitied more than others because nothing, nobody's resurrected then. But Peter says here and affirms what we know to be true, and that is is that God didn't just let Jesus die for our sins, but he made him to live again a new life of a different kind for our sakes. And he says, because that's true, now we live with great expectation. NLT says great expectation. Your translation, maybe NIV, says new hope in the Greek. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. It's kind of subtle, but you need to catch a point here. And that is, the resurrection isn't something that comes way, way, way off in the distance. 
the reality of your experience is yet to come because we still live in the body. We still live in this creation. We still deal with everything that this world has in it. But your soul, the real you, is already resurrected. The Bible repeatedly says that we are dead in our sins. Paul talks about that in Romans throughout chapters 5 and 6 over and over, that our sins have caused us to be spiritually dead. But the resurrection of Jesus, our faith in Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection has caused us to have a new life. Yes, our bodies are still the same ones. Whether, you, whether that day comes when you have stood before the people here who love you and confessed Christ and gone down into the water and experienced a, 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 a version, a metaphor, a symbol, a sign of that resurrection when you're buried in the water and you're brought back up, at that moment, you and I begin... To live in the resurrection. Ponder that for a minute. Think about that. Think things because sin compels you. You have, as we're going to see in a minute, power. And you have the expectation that God has made you different and new. And things can be different now. No matter how long it's been since you experienced that resurrection. Today, tomorrow, the next day, until you leave this world and go to be with Jesus, every single day has a new hope and new resurrection. We are beyond the reach of change and decay. All those things and those, those compelling desires and needs that we have in this life to give us what we think is going to be a full and complete and real life, you've already got it. You don't have to seek that out. You don't have to strive so hard. The passage from the Psalms, it says, be still and know that I am God. You know that, that, that phrase there, be still, it means quit striving. You have been connected to God through Christ. You have been restored to God through Christ. You have been resurrected in a new and different life in Christ. You don't have to strive so much for what the world wants to offer and what the world thinks you ought to have. You have a new hope. It makes a difference right now in your life as you face whatever you've got going on, whether it's family or, or finances or life. You can confidently hope and expect that your life and your opportunity to change other lives is happening right now. There's another thing that we know because of the resurrection, and it's true right now and matters right now, and that is it's forgiveness. Again, Peter's talking about this, and if, and again, if anyone would, would really appreciate this, it would, be G, it would be Peter who had denied Jesus in front of others three times. Jesus told him it would happen. He actually did it. He was broken. He was a broken man after that. Jesus restores him to life and to his mission. And so if anybody understands what forgiveness means, it's Peter. And so here's what he tells churches in 1 Peter 1. This is verses 21 through 23 where he says, Through Christ... You have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. That sounds a whole lot like verses 3 and 4, doesn't it? It's basically the same idea over again. We trust God because we put our faith and hope in God because God raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Verse 22 gives us some of the consequences or the results of that, and he says this. He says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. When you heard the truth that God has offered us salvation in Christ, when you accepted that as true for yourself, when you decided the burden 
of sin and rebellion. And he gave it all to Christ and accepted his glory and his mercy and his grace and his resurrection. That's what Peter's talking about here. He says, you placed your faith and hope in God because God resurrected Jesus from the dead and gave him glory. You were cleansed, he says, from your sins. Let me back that up. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now, when you're reading the Bible, church, watch the grammar. So now means as a result, or because this is true, now here's the action. The action, he says, is now you and I can show sincere love to each other's brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last how long? forever. There's that resurrection. You're already living in this resurrection. It will last forever, he says, because it comes from the eternal living word of God. The resurrection matters. It matters right now because now you and I constantly live bathed in a state of forgiveness. You're constantly forgiven by God for the things that we do even in the moment. The, the, those, those thoughts, those words, those deeds that we that we just, it just happen out of us, and we know they're wrong, and we know we shouldn't do it, but we do. Because Jesus has resurrected you, in verse 22, of your sins, and now, because we're forgiven, we can forgive others. The resurrection matters because it makes it possible for us to live in full and complete and unified and restored relationships, not just with God, but with one another. So as you go through your day and you, and you think about the people in your life with whom you, you've got some conflict, there's some things going on, and you're, you're just, not, just not together, and it's just hard, just weird. Jesus has resurrected you from the dead in your soul, in your heart, in your mind. You're new, and you don't have to live that way anymore. And because we're con- uh, forgiven, we can forgive those around us. And the reason that works and the reason it's even possible is because of the resurrection. We have power. We have power. Power is a very, um, uh, pardon the pun, charged word in, in our world. Power in human dynamics is, is more about, about two things. It's about how much can I control others and about how little I can let other people control me. That's really the basis of the human dynamic of power. You see it at work. You see it among coworkers who are supposed to be kind of, you know, on the same level on the org chart. But man, there's always power. Who's, who's doing this? Who's most athletic? That gives them some kind of power dynamic in that in that in that group. It, it happens among teachers. It happens in families. I was thinking about this. This never happens at my house. Okay, let me just start there. Do I have to confess after the sermon? Do I go ahead and say it now that that was a lie? <laughs> you know how it is at home when something needs to get done and nobody wants to do it? Y'all just nod and say, yeah. Like maybe uh, uh, the, the trash needs to go out and nobody wants to take the trash out. And so power dynamics, if we're not being nice and Christian to one another, that trash may sit in the kitchen for a while. And, the, and the, the result, and you know who has the most power because they're the one whose nose is bothered the least by the trash. Oh, come on. You guys know this happens. That's power dynamics. That's what's going on in the world. It happens in families. It happens everywhere. That is not the power we're talking about here. 
The power we're talking about here is a very different kind. The power we're talking about here, based on the resurrection of Jesus and our own resurrection into a new life, is based on being in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20 says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by what? By whose power? God's power. It's not power dynamics where we find out the other person just can't stand it anymore and takes the trash out or does whatever needs to get done. This is about being part of God's kingdom, part of God's world, and experiencing God's power as we do, in fact, serve one another. In a Christian home, it shouldn't, <clears throat> there shouldn't be that kind of power dynamic going on. In the world you and I live in, whether it's at work or at school or our neighborhood or wherever it is, our power dynamic isn't who has the most control, but who has the most capacity and willingness to serve. And you know what it's based on? It's based on what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity. But of, let's read these words together. But of power, love, and self-discipline. Resurrection matters because this is true for us now. And, and, and what I want us to do for a moment, what I'd like for you to do is just take these, these descriptions... And while we don't live by checklists, sometimes some milestones, some, some checkpoints are not a bad thing as we gauge our, our spiritual growth, our maturity. If you want to know, if I want to know how I'm doing in living the resurrected life that matters right now, this is a wonderful little list to go to. If my life right now is dominated by fear, if I am feeling confident in my relationship with Christ through uh, with God through Christ, then I'm not really believing that the resurrection is making much difference in my life. If I have fear about jobs or, or my relationship with my mate or how I'm doing my kids or just all that stuff, if fear is the predominating emotion that we're in right now, then we're not really believing that the resurrection is making a difference in our lives. If timidity, which is being pulling back, kind of being afraid of, of, of people and things and situations, very closely related. If that's the dominant reaction I have in my life to people, then I'm not really living a resurrected life. If I'm playing power games with people, then I'm not really expressing power in a godly way. If I'm withholding love from others, then I'm not really living a resurrected life. If my life is chaotic, if there's too much junk and craziness going on, too many things happening at one time, then my self-discipline is probably lacking. This may be, some of these may be true in your life. And this is a good way for us to stop and realize for a moment that maybe, just maybe, I'm not necessarily believing that the resurrection makes a difference in my life right now. It does. It's your hope. It's where you find your forgiveness to love. It's where you and I learn to hope. It's where you and I learn to do things in a way that expresses God's power. Church, we're going to pray about this for a minute, and then we're going to sing a song of, of encouragement together. I ask you to bow with me. Father, we are so, so blessed to be part of the resurrection, to be part of Jesus' world, to know that already our lives are different. We're made new in Christ. God, we long for, we expect, we hope for the day when 
everything experiences this newness, this new creation, new heaven, new earth, fully new, restored, complete selves, bodies, minds, hearts, everything. We look forward to that. But in the meantime, remind us how, show us how to live in Jesus' resurrection every day. We pray this in his name and we say, amen.